my Bible. Let me pray. When we stop, worship, because our perception of worship is coming into a building like this and worship you on Sunday. And throughout the rest of the day or rest of the week, we do our own thing. Yes, others, on a personal level, might draw into their closet and continue the worship. But we thank you that even though corporate worship on earth is so intensified on Sunday mornings everywhere in our nation and around the world, we thank you and stop on Sunday sometimes that corporate gathering. But in heaven, the worship never ceases. Day and night, they keep calling to each other and remind each other of the God that they serve. He is holy. And so they called out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And from earth, oh God, we echo back those words again with our lips, our unclean lips, oh God, like prophet Isaiah, the one who used to denounce woe to the people of unclean lips. Now see God in his highness and his holiness and the train fills the temple. He did not only see the sight of what is happening in heaven, but he discovered an insight. He saw himself feeling so unworthy and also declared at woe. Not only woe to the people, but woe is me. Oh God, woe is me. The man who stands before your people right now. Oh, I need you. To release, release those seraphims with those thongs, fiery thongs from there, from the altar. Purge my lips. Purge my heart. Our hearts as we spend this time in your throne room. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us as we wait on you this morning. Oh God, we need you, we need you, we need you. We're dry, we're desperate for your spirit to bring us into that throne room like Isaiah. That we might show your elevation, your position of authority and royalty and see your train fills the temple. Your holiness permeate that room. No wonder 
those beams, those seraphims, their father continued to cry, holy, holy, holy. Constantly they remind each other. We thank you, Lord, that worship is our highest occupation on earth. And it will be our eternal occupation in heaven. So help us, teach us how to learn to worship you unceasingly. Not just only when we come corporately, but by the way we live our lifestyle, the words that we say, the hearts that rendered acts of kindness to others is that act of worship. May we be conscious, oh Lord, and not just regard them as just the normal activities of life. They are acts of worship. Oh, Father, we want to say to you, we love you, we honor you, and we thank you for this glorious opportunity today. Speak, Lord, as I hear from you and pass it on to my brothers and my sisters this morning. Your family, your precious family, the family that you bought with the precious blood of your son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you that this morning we overcome the works of the enemy through the words of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to share with you my testimony, that's all. Is I want to overcome the works of the enemy. I love sharing testimony because they are true sermons. Yeah? Sermon that I prove they're true. You know, God is real, as I shared it. And uh, the basis of my testimony this morning, uh, I, I'd like to uh, base it on uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18 about the man of God, Elijah. I love Elijah. That's my favorite prophet, you know, because he was a man who exercised faith. And I learned to exercise faith in coming to Australia almost 34 years now as the first missionary from the South Sea Evangelical Church in the Solomon Islands, a church that had its spiritual birth here in Australia. In Queensland, in the city of Bundaberg. So our church in the Solomon Islands, the South Sea Evangelical Church, is an Australian indigenous church in exile in the nation of Solomon Islands. And so it is right for us to come back to this land. It is right for us to be drawn by the Spirit of God to the place of our spiritual birth. That's why we come. We come because it is our legal right, it is our spiritual right to come back to this great nation of Australia and make ourselves, I'm not citizen yet after 34 years, I'm just only a permanent resident. You know? <laughs> but why do I have to become a citizen? Because both, both seems to carry the same benefits except voting right I don't have, you know? But otherwise, all the other benefits is also a blessing to us. Yeah. 
But right now, since all of these kinds of things that are happening in the world, we may have to consider becoming a citizen now. You know, we have five children. Janet is my wife for uh, 47 years. We are getting on in years, and uh, I love, I love married life. <laughs> I love Janet. Janet is my, like a wave that I can ride on when I'm preaching because she keeps connecting with me. <laughs> Lovely. Well, I became a Christian when I was probably about 10 years old, way back in the village. And I came to know Christ over a sermon about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, those who love the Lord and give their hearts to the Lord, they will go, and uh, those who don't will left behind. And I don't like the, the thought of living behind or being left behind. My parents, my other brothers, we have four in our family, will go and I'm going to stay. So on that day, I was convicted by fear that uh, if I, because I know I didn't receive Christ then, I came back home from the other island. We usually, we have twin islands offshore from the main island of Malaita, uh, Koi and Ngongosila. We were having a service at Ngongosila. And on that Sunday, I came back home. I went under a dugout canoe and cried and said, Lord, I don't want to left behind. I want to go. And my pastor had a custom that every Sunday evening he would go and sit in the church so that anyone has any problem or want to share or want to give their hearts to the Lord can go and see him. And that's what I did. You know, so I remember well it was Sunday. The date, I don't know, but uh, uh, that was a long, long time ago now. And uh, from there on, I have that confidence and that assurance. If I die, I will go to heaven because Jesus is already in my heart. In the journey of my life, there, there came a change when uh, God spoke to me in 1979. In 1979, I was uh, working for the Solomon Island government as a, um, um, an education officer responsible for a certain number of schools in the province and would go around and visit the schools. and. Uh, one day, to cut a long story short, I was flying out to a little, to a Polynesian island nation, uh, not country, islands, you know, far out from Guadalcanal, Reynolds and Bellona. I went there to run a refresher course for the teachers, and uh, while I was on that trip, I was already a, a lovely Christian man and loved the Lord and so opened up for, for God to do something in my life. But at the same time, I was given a scholarship from the British government to go to England to study uh, English as a second language in the Birmingham University. But on that trip, little did I knew that that was my last trip to be um, an education officer. God spoke to me for the very first time. I've never read, what was it? Is it uh, Isaiah? No, no, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. I know Jeremiah 1, 5, but Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I don't know. But on that trip, I read my Bible. It was in the Living Bible paraphrase, and this is what it says. For I alone know the plans I have for you, plans that will bring about prosperity and not disaster, plans that will bring about the future that you hope for. Wow, that really spoke so powerfully, personally to me. 
But then I begin to have uh, reasoning in my mind because I have a plan that the government of Solomon Island, the Ministry of Education and Cultural Affairs placed before me to go to Birmingham University and live on British scholarship fund. Your salary back here will be accumulated for two years. And by the time you come back, you'll be a rich man. Well, I'm still rich today because of God. <laughs> Not in terms of money, but in terms of uh, the goodness and the love and the kindness of God and the faithfulness of my God. Cut a long story short, I went to Papua New Guinea and did four years of theological study at the Christian Leaders Training College, come back and, uh, and work in the Solomon Islands just for, uh, uh, for two and a half years. And God called me and my family to come to Australia. So the journey here in Australia uh, by September this year will be 34 years as uh, missionaries from the Solomon Islands. Never heard of this before. Why did I love the story of Elijah? Because the first place I was sent to, to work here in Australia for two years, I wasn't allowed to work. So I have to go, I work with uh, a group called uh, uh, Gospel Outreach Center. At that time, John Tanner was the associate superintendent of the Baptist Union of Queensland. And he works very closely with the superintendent of this uh, small island, indigenous community, churches, sets of churches all along the Queensland coast. And uh, they sent me right up to Chatters Towers. When I arrived at Chatters Towers, they said, you have come to the graveyard of the ministers. Oh, wow. Many ministers have come to this place, this gold city, you know, and they never lasted. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to turn this, this graveyard into a resurrection yard for God, you know. And I came with passion to see revival because prior to my coming for two and a half years, I was called to pastor this uh, huge church, 700 people at that time. That was a big church, and I never passed a church before. So I said to God, God, what am I going to do? I don't know how to start. Where will I start? I was so desperate, and I cry out to God, and God says, I want you to start a prayer meeting. I said, oh, that's the weakest ministry in the life of the church. Start a prayer meeting. I said, well, if I announce it tomorrow, nobody's going to come. Can you please make it a little bit more clearer to me? He says, every Saturday, you go down to the church at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray for your congregation. To cut the long story short, well, that's what Janet and I did. That's when I start to learn how to pray. Seriously pray. Seeking God for divine guidance and revelation in what we were doing. And uh, to cut the long story short, that church grew within two and a half years to 1,500 people. I broke the walls of the church, both sides and the back, in order to extend to accommodate. One Sunday, I remember I baptized 40 people under the little Baptist tree in the pulpit, under the pulpit. So when I was really raving up in the things of the Spirit, so passionate, you know, so, you know, winning souls into the kingdom of God. God said, now it's time to go to Australia. So I come with that person, with that passion in my heart to see a revival in this land. 
I looked for a praying mountain because in that congregation in Honiara, every Friday I would take congregational members, 200, 250, sometimes 300, up to the mountain, and we spent all night praying. And what, guess what we pray for? We pray for Australia. Because for us, as the South Sea Evangelical Church, Australia is our spiritual birthplace. We were encouraged to pray for revival for Australia. So I was the first one who should come and bring revival to Australia. And now today I need revival myself. Oh, how I need it more than ever. Today, I have a little prayer mountain, mostly rocks. And I would go out every evening, every day, go and stand on top of these rocks and look out to the west. This is in Chatterstars. And I say, God, give me this land. Give me this nation. Give me this nation, oh Lord. Let your Holy Spirit come upon this nation. I've been praying for that since I arrived on day one in Chatterstars. And I'm still praying for revival. Revival is the only hope for our nation, my brothers and my sisters. So after 17 years of pastoral ministry in local churches, I resigned. I burned my, the bridges of my livelihood and uh, stepped out again in faith and returned back to Bundaberg, where it was all begun for us, and established the first house of prayer and start recruiting intercessors from the islands. Please come and pray with me. Please come and hold my hand. Please come so that we can pray for this nation together that God might have mercy on us and bring revival on this, in this nation. Without any financial supporter, I declare to my teams, I usually bring about six or seven people, the most, Come and stay with me all year round. One group comes, stay for one month or two months, go back, depend on their visa, and recruit another group again. That's what I did in Vanderburg. And I say, look to God, because God is going to provide for our needs. I have proven him already in Charterstowers, because for two years in Charterstowers, I never buy bread, because an old man by the name of David Peel, he lives down the road, dusty road. I live, we, we both live on the same street called Black, Blackjack Road. I said, what sort of road is this? You know, Blackjack Road. And uh, every day he would go past dust everywhere. And my wife and I and our five children live in this two little bedroom, flat, just outside, out, outside on the outskirts of, uh, of Chatters Towers. And the thing that gives me faith and hope and trust in God was a plaque that was uh, written in this house, a big drawing that has these words. Today is the, is the tomorrow you were worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you were worried about yesterday. When I saw that, it stuck into me. Yes, I should not worry about tomorrow now, God, because you're going to provide for my needs. I was supported with... $50 a week when we first arrived. God was so good. Oh, no, $80. We, we, we pay the rent 50 we live on 30 God was so gracious. And uh, so one day, this old fellow, David Pugh, goes past. Every day, he, he goes back into town to pick up one-day-old bread. 
for his animals. He's got a lot of animals. It's almost like old MacDonald had a farm, you know? Uh, all kinds of animals. And uh, one day he saw, he drove past and he saw this, uh, uh, this family, black family, living on the outskirts. And he, he, he asked one of my children and said, is your dad home? I said, yeah, he's home. So I came out to meet David, and David said, who are you? I, we've never seen you here before. And I said to David, David, we're missionaries. We're from Solomon Islands. And David, who was 80 at that time, shook his head. Shook his head and he said, Roy, I've never heard that before. We are the ones who send missionaries out to the islands and to other places. And now you're coming back. I said, yes, David, your missionaries who have come, they planted the seed, the trees are growing, and we are the seeds of their, their work. That's why we're coming back. And so David said, to cut a long story short, do you mind if I give you, give you bread? I said, David, Adel, that will be a blessing from the Lord. So for two and a half years, I never buy bread for my family. Every day, David goes in, come back, would hang this plastic of two or three loaves of bread. And we can't even give up to try and finish those loaves. And that went on for two years. And uh, when our visa, we were living on temporary sponsored visa then, when it was time to finish, we were ready to come down to Brisbane to, tomorrow. David arrived today looking so sad and said, I said to him, David, why are you so sad? He said, Roy, today I bring this loaf of bread, this uh, couple of loaves of bread. This is the last time now. My permit has allowed me to. They're now not going to do that. They're not going to allow me to go back and pick, pick bread again. I said, David, today is our last day here in Chatter's house. Tomorrow we're heading down to Brisbane on our way back home. Our two years is over. So I tell my, <laughs> my intercessors, watch out for the ravens. They'll come morning and evening. Well, one king's. Chapter 17, Elijah came forward into the scene when the whole nation turned their back on God, when the whole nation now worshiped Baal and the Azurah pole under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel. So if you have your Bible, I want to draw, just quickly run through and bring our time to the close. Oh, we're already 10, sorry. Okay, maybe for the next 15 minutes. It says here, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah, the man who appeared from nowhere, they know he was from Tishbe, he was a Tishbite, but they don't even know who his parents was. Some, some scholars say that Elijah might be an angel. And that's why the writer of James, James himself, tried to explain Elijah was just a man like us. Because God does or did great things through Elijah. And the first thing that he did was Elijah made this faith declaration. I love making declaration for the sake of God, not for myself. He says here, ask the Lord, 
That's how he opens that declaration. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives. Well, the people of God no longer recognize him as God because they turn their back on him and worship Baal. But he says also, whom I served. And then he made the declaration, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next three and a half years. This faith declaration rallies the whole of heaven to stand and honor the man of God, the man who depend and totally depend on, on God for his sustenance, even in these times of drought. You know, the whole heaven respond very quickly. God spoke, you know, in such a time, Elijah was so intimate in his relationship with his God because he was the only one who is still making noise about the God of heaven, who still stand on behalf of the God of heaven. And therefore, heaven honor the man who honors him, who, the man who's willing to speak out for him, the man who is willing to represent heaven on earth. And Elijah was that man. The whole heavens rally behind him. God gave him the instructions for the next few days. Go to that brook. I will look after you. I will allow the ravens to come. They'll feed you morning and evening. The provision was regular. Meat and bread. I wonder where he got those meat from. But God looks after his servants so well. I prove God looks after me so well. Over this last 33, leading up to 34 years now in September. God is good. God is faithful. When we become faithless because of our doubt and our fear of what might happen to us tomorrow if God's provision does not show up, God will keep his promise. God is faithful, he has promised. He can never break his word to the uttermost fulfilling every promise I have heard. God is faithful, I will ever trust in him each day and hour. Simple faith. The word faith for me means for all I trust him. It's a lifestyle. It's a beautiful lifestyle. It's a total dependency upon God. God proved himself. Little did. The declaration has now established a journey for Elijah towards a great showdown between the God and the gods. The Baal and Asherah and the God of heaven. You see, God honors those who make faith declarations that honors God that declare that God is God. To cut the long story short, you know, the whole nation was in drought because of the man of God who made that faith declaration. The man that God honors him because he honors God. Faith honors God and God honors faith. I want to encourage you. When at times in your personal areas of need or challenges in life, and you don't know which way to go, turn to God. Your God and my God is able to do far more than we can ever ask of him. He is a good God. He'll never fail. 
He'll never forsake you, my brother. So the journey was now being established from the declaration now. It's going to be a showdown, a great contest on Mount Carmel, that the God who brings fire is a true God. You know, when you live such a life of courage and total dependency on God, you have no fear. What do you face in life? The challenges of life. And so the story goes on. God looks after Elijah at the brook of, uh, what was it? Kerith. Kerith. And then the brook dried up. God says, don't worry, my servant. I'll look after you. Go to a widow. Oh, what can this widow provide in such a time like this? In drought, what resources does she have? Well, she has only a little cruise of oil and flour. And out from that, Elijah said to her, will you make me some little bread and, and give me some water to drink? And the conversation went on, and she did, and God sustained that flour and that oil throughout the rest of the entire drought. That's how powerful. Your God, my God, is little that we have. Over to God. God will take care of it. God will take. Now comes to the day of the great showdown on Mount Carmel. I went to Israel in 2012 with Ben Graham. We were part of the international intercessors that we went there. And uh, cut a long story short, when I went to Israel, I went to Shiloh. Shiloh was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept for some 20 years. When I walk on that dry and dusty land, I feel that God's presence is in this place. The residue of the presence of God was so powerful there. I came back in the evening and I said to my brother Ben Gray, I'm going to come back here and start a house of prayer in Israel. Oh, in here, you know, because this would be a great place. Well, cut the long story short, we did, in partnership with another house of prayer in Melbourne, uh, Delsford House of Prayer. Uh, we launched a house of prayer on Mount Carmel in 2017, 1st of October, 2017. I'm still a, an elder member of the board of that, and we've just had a, we're now looking at establishing another house of prayer in Jezreel Valley. Because there's a hunger among the Messianic Jews down in the valley now, as they saw what is happening up on the Mount of Carmel. But here on this passage now, in 18, I'll just quickly, the kind of prayer that brings down the fire. Because that was the essence, that was the core thrust of that contest on Mount Carmel. The God that sends the fire. He is God. And we all know the story well. The practicality of it was, you know, they come and uh, the Baal's people, you know, there were 800, uh, 850 prophets against one. In 1986, I was in Amsterdam attending the Billy Graham Congress on World Evangelization, and uh, one of the speakers, Josh McDowell, in one of the seminar rooms, he shared something which stuck with me. It was... One holy man in the hands of the Almighty God is an awful weapon against the enemy. 
One holy man in the hands of the Almighty God is a deadly weapon, is a weapon of mass destruction against the kingdom of darkness. Well, Elijah faced 850 false prophets. But I want to draw your attention now to his prayer. It's all about prayer. And I want to draw your attention to the motive of Elijah's prayer. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 36 and 37. Let me conclude with this verse now and then we come. At the time of the evening sacrifice, prophet stepped forward. Prophet Elijah stepped forward. You see, he allowed all the others to go on raving and, you know, pray and cut themselves and do all the noisy stuff. But the man of God knows the right time for him to step forward. The Bible says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah probably must be a man of prayer too. He knew that this is the time when the evening sacrifice would take place. So he stepped forward after rebuilding the altar, repairing the altar, digging the trenches, laying the wood, cut the pieces, and then he prayed. I tried to read this and tried to, uh, uh, to record it. It doesn't even last a one-minute prayer, you know? And this is the prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, answer me, so the people will know that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire fell and burned up the sacrifices, the wood and the stones and the soil and also lick up the water in the trench. When all the people saw, they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah's motives of prayer were three. One, let it be known today that you are God. God and his glory, even in the prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. God and his glory. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. Focus of Elijah's prayer was, let it be known today, not tomorrow, but today. You are God in Israel. Declaration of faith again. The people were still on that side. The whole nation was still under the rule of Ahab and Jezebel, those wicked servants of those false god of Baal and Azarapos. Elijah's primary motives of prayer was, let it be known today that you are God. I pray that our prayers will always be that. God, let it be known today, not tomorrow. Today as you still allow me to live and enjoy life, let it be known today that everything that I do will be for your glory and your glory alone. His secondary motive, let it be known today that I am your servant and I have done all the things that you have commanded me. See, identification with God is a beautiful thing. You know, 
That should give you courage and boldness. When the faith of, of, of God in us causes us to rise up and declare bold statements for his sake, for his glory, God will honor that. God will honor you for standing up for God. We're living in such a time now that they are trying to muscle our mouth not to speak. God wants us to speak for him. Elijah says, let it be known today that I am your servant and I have obeyed everything. Whatever you say to me, I will do it. But he said to Elijah, dig the trenches, pour the water, something that is abnormal, fire and water, enemy. But he says, I radically obey God and do that as I repair the altar. He wants me to also dig a big trench, enough for so much water to be dug, uh, to be poured into this place so that we can prove to the people that are watching us right now, the whole nation was summoned to come to Mount Carmel. Let them see that the God of heaven that I love, I love and I worship and I stand for is not a God who deceives people. It's a God of fire. Radical obedience and identification is the primary motive of Elijah. I'm not afraid to stand up for you. I'm not afraid to face this 850 false prophet like old Caleb. We're going to rout them out. Give me this mountain. So the final motive of Elijah's prayer was, and that you are turning their hearts back again to you. He has a mission, a redemptive mission, to redeem the people of God back, to acknowledge the God of heaven again. We're going to stop there now. But that's the message that I believe God is challenging his church to come out from the hiding. There were 50 prophets who were hidden by Obadiah. Was it 50 or 100? 50, you know? And he led to say, I am the only one. It is true because he was the only one outspoken. The rest were hiding in the cave. And we're living in such a time now, in a season of the world, that God is looking for men and women, those who would stand up for him. Be full of courage, and your courage is really a total dependency upon God. You rely on God. And let God. And when you rely on God, God will give you revelation. God will give you words of declaration. God will share with you the things that is very much upon his heart. He's looking for someone. Every time, time and time again in the scripture, God uses one person. You might be that one person here today. Every revival that we read in history, we trace them back to certain people who are willing to pay the price and count the cost. We need revival today. Elijah didn't pray for revival. He know that they already did discuss. It's a common understanding among everybody now, like it is today in our nation. This nation of Australia, when I first arrived, 33 years ago, I said Australia is not a praying nation. Today, there is a ground swell of prayer 
in this nation. Every day, prayers are ascending up. And the focus and the expectation is, Lord, we need revival in this land. You might be that one person that God is eyeing you right now. That you could begin to say, yes, I'd like to step forward. This is the time. This is the season. It's time. There isn't great expectation. You know, there's a, a prophetic word that comes from Canada by a man named Barry Wunsch. I don't know if any of you know. You Google him, you'll find. And he prophesied about Australia. There's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God in this land. And he did mention something about Sunshine Coast. I said, praise the Lord. We will continue to not storm the gates of heaven, but storm the gate of hell, and, and uh, you know, but approach the gate of heaven with all humility in desperation for a fresh move of God upon our lives. I'm going to ask my brothers to come, and we'll sing, Father, let revival fall on us. If that is the desire of your heart, um, as we sing this song, I want you to step forward. Elijah, step forward. And today is the season of stepping forward now in our nation. There is a national expectation because of the groundswell of prayer for revival for this nation. Books have been written now, too, about this revival. But revival is a sovereign act of God. Responding to dependent prayer. God would long, we would long for God to breathe his very breath of life into the dying embers of your life and my life. So I'll just stop there. You just